1: we're going to teach on the relationship between liberty and responsibility and how those also are both in the Christian life. You can't have just one or the other. You can't have just one or the other. But our source text tonight we're going to take from three different books of the Bible, all from the Apostle Paul. We're going to take primarily from Galatians chapter 5, and we'll go there in just a moment and read. And we're going to read also from First Corinthians and also from Philippians. And so let's go ahead and just jump right in. Let's go from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read most of this chapter. We're going to read all the way down through about verse 18. Paul says in the fifth chapter of his his letter to the churches in Galatia, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, for In Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve ye one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take ye heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now I want to stop right there, because from there he goes on and begins talking about the works of the flesh. And then after that he starts to enumerate and discuss uh, or to enumerate at least the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And those contrast one against the other, much in, much in line with what he's been talking about in the first 18 verses of this chapter. And I know it, gets, it get, seems to get bogged down in this reading with this talking of circumcision and all of that, but since we're going to teach largely out of this portion of Scripture, it uh, stands to reason we ought to at least unpack it a bit and discuss it. He begins talking about liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, okay? And before we really get down deep into that, I want to at least launch into the topic, the relationship between liberty, which Christ or which Paul, by the, by the Holy Spirit, discusses here in Galatians chapter five, the relationship between liberty and responsibility. We have in this relationship another example of how important the proper balance between these two principles or between two principles can be. Now, unlike the relationship between faith and works, which we taught about last week, okay? Unlike that relationship where both of those things are important, but they have to follow a certain order, right? Faith comes first, and that is the gift of God. And then works follow after, and the presence of works coming in as a result of faith proves that faith is there. The works, when it's in the right order, works are the evidence of faith in a believer's life. And we talked about that at great length last week using James as our source text on that. Unlike that relationship, the relationship between liberty and responsibility is more concurrent. And what that means is these two principles liberty, and responsibility. These two things have to be in the believer's life at the same time, because for every liberty that we learn that we have that Jesus Christ bought for us on the cross, and how appropriate we're teaching this this week, because we just celebrated his death and his resurrection and all of the victories that he won for us, one of which was, um, you could say this credibly, was a victory over the law because not that the law was an enemy that needed to be conquered. It wasn't. It was from God and it was good. But the law condemned us because we were all guilty of it, weren't we? We were all guilty of the law. We had all transgressed the word of God, uh, the revealed word of God, whether it was the law of Moses or even the great commandment that Jesus said when he was, uh, when he was being tested by some of the lawyers. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which was this, the second commandment that was like unto it. We were all guilty of violating the law. And so in Christ's death, taking upon himself and suffering the wrath of God, taking becoming sin on our behalf, and then raise, rising up again from the grave on the third day, he delivered us from the consequences of the law by taking that death penalty on himself and then rising up again in newness of life. Thus are we alive now to Christ in newness of life because of him. So back to what we were saying, liberty, which Christ purchased for us at the cross, carries with it responsibility. And we as Americans, okay, if we're Americans, and you're tuning into this outside of here, or you that are sitting in the house of God with us tonight, we as Americans really ought to understand this better than a lot of folks, because Were we not founded as a nation on principles of liberty, life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and all of that? Liberty, freedom, the right to self-determination and self-governance. And we're going to find that theme running through this as we continue, as we continue on in our Bible study tonight. These two things, these two principles, liberty and responsibility, are more concurrent in the life of the believer. They should develop in the heart of the believer at the same time in virtually equal amount. A liberty, talking about how these two things develop in the heart of the believer, they should develop in the heart of the believer at the same time. And if they don't, then it gets unbalanced in the heart of the believer. And then we fall into a trap that many modern believers have fallen into. Many modern believers have fallen into We'll get more of that in a second. In equal amounts is how they should develop. A liberty and a responsibility that goes with it. A freedom and a compulsion, a balancing compulsion to self-regulate that freedom. Not to try to regulate it in others. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But to, live, to, but to regulate it within ourselves. Now, does that make sense? I might ask that question a number of times in this Bible study to make sure that I'm on track and not swinging wide of the mark, okay? So there's a liberty, and for every liberty, there's a responsibility that goes with it. For every freedom, there's a compulsion to self-regulate it so that we don't go off the rails. And by self-regulate, what I mean by that is there's an impulse of the inner man as guided or taught by the Holy Spirit to hit the brakes in your liberty. And and there's enough said about this within the New Testament that makes it very clear. We've got liberty in Christ, yes, and praise God for that. I don't want to abridge that in, in anyone's life. But we've got a responsibility to regulate ourselves by the Holy Ghost and by the Word of God because if we don't, then we'll fly off the track so fast and we'll find ourselves in a ditch of error so deep down that it'll make your head spin. And many have done that over the 2,000 years of the church. Many have, and individuals have. Many The whole groups, whole, whole churches that have, that have taken and misapplied this have, have found themselves airing and making ship, airing, E-R-R-I-N-G, not airing like you're airing out your dirty laundry, although some will do that too. They'll find themselves erring and making shipwreck of their entire faith because when it becomes, when your Christianity is all about your liberty and there's no corresponding responsibility to go to, to balance that out or to help you govern yourself, then you're going to find yourself doing all kinds of things that are wrong while you're telling yourself that you're right. And... Well, anyway, let's just, let's move on with that. So, by self-regulate, we mean an impulse of the inner man as guided by the Holy Spirit to hit the brakes before going too far. That's the key word right there. Hit the brakes before you go too far. Not when you've gone to, well, certainly hit the brakes then, but hit the brakes before it gets to that point and you find yourself in a place where you've got to find an altar of repentance all over again, or you've done something that has far-reaching consequences that you can't undo. You can repent and you can make things right, but there may be natural consequences for the sin that was committed because you took more liberties than you actually had in Jesus Christ. So, and there's a whole teaching in that about how when a man is filled with the Holy Ghost or with the, when a man is even born again, you know, God gives you a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And this is the solution to falling into the trap of rules because that's where you swing wide and you go into the other ditch of air where it's all responsibility and no liberty. You know, you don't want to be on either side of that. You don't want to go to where it's all liberty and no responsibility, and you don't want to go to where it's all responsibility and no liberty, because both of those have their errors. The one leads to chaos and self-destruction. That's when it's all liberty. And the other leads to tyranny and slavery and bondage. That's when it's all responsibility. And Jesus Christ, let me, let's me let make no mistake about this. Jesus Christ died to make us free. Now, free from what? You have to ask that question when you bring that up. I thought that he died to make us free from sin and to make us free from the law of sin and death and and free from our bondage to the to the flesh and those compulsions and all of that. Yes, but he also freed us from the law that condemned us because he fulfilled that law. And so that freedom applies to all of those different things. Where liberty and responsibility get out of balance is where they are regarded as a dichotomy. And that's a word that we're using throughout this series of studies, like faith versus works. A lot of people view those as a dichotomy, two opposing principles. They are not. We taught last week, scripture shows us last week that they work in harmony together, okay? Likewise, liberty and responsibility. They are not a dichotomy. They are not at all. Many Christians and churches have erred on the balance of liberty and responsibility, embracing this false dichotomy wherein one of these things, liberty, is prized above all else while the other, responsibility, is scarcely even thought of, let alone taught. And it's funny, because the moment that a Christian brings up the subject of, hey, uh, brother, you sure you should be doing that? I mean, it's not going to look right in the eyes of anybody on the outside of this thing, or even your brothers or sisters are going to see that, and they're going to be wondering what in the world you're doing. You know, it's kind of a bad testimony, and I'm being, I'm being vague intentionally because I don't want to try to pull out, pull out direct examples necessarily or we'll, we'll get lost in that and we'll lose our thread here. But it's funny because the moment somebody brings up that subject of responsibility, they'll, that, that brother or sister will instantly be accused of being a legalist. And that word, legalist, that's like the Christian version of the word bigot. It's a conversation nuke that someone who doesn't like responsibility and doesn't want to govern their own behavior by the word and by the spirit of God. It's, it's that word that someone throws out there to shut another Christian up when they start talking about responsibility because there's conviction that's there. you got one well-meaning brother or well-meaning sister saying to another brother or sister, I don't know if that's such a good idea, bro. You want to think about that. Maybe you want to pray about that. What are you, a legalist? No, actually. Do we even know what a legalist is? I've opened that up now. I have opened up that can I've opened it up. Let's just dump it out, sort out the worms, and then we'll clean up the mess and move on because responsibility is not legalism. So what's legalism? Legalism is when you're depending on anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ for your salvation. When someone asks you a question, what is it that makes you a Christian? And your thinking and your answer immediately goes to oh, well, I know I'm a Christian because I go to church and I pay tithe and I do this and I do that and I don't do this and, and I fast three times a year. I just threw that out there because we may as well just make this kind of you know exaggerated. You know, I fast and I pray three times a day and I even face Jerusalem when I do it. Well, hoopy-doo, good for you. Well, I do this and this and this and this and I protest at abortion clinics and all right, well, whatever. That's legalism. Legalism is a person depending on those things that they do for their salvation rather than upon Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did, okay? But once a person, all right, depending now on Jesus Christ, depending on Jesus, his sacrifice, what he did, who he is and all of that, and having been born again by our faith in him and by his blood shed for us, that now being the case, Should we not be responsible Christians? We've got a whole New Testament that tells us that we should sin not. And that, well, and and we'll read this here in a second. We're gonna jump over to 1 Corinthians, two different places in 1 Corinthians to back this up. Should we not be responsible Christians taking the word of God seriously and letting it shape our life? And does that not also tie into last week's study about faith and works, does not that then become a work that is done because of our faith? It's our faith that saved us, and it's our works that demonstrate it. And you could call that pietism. I don't really care. That's what the Bible teaches us. It really is what the Bible teaches us. Having been born again, we should now do well as children of God, as children of light, and so on. So, it becomes a false dichotomy in the minds of many believers. It's a huge problem even in secular circles when you get when you bring up the discussion of rights versus responsibilities because right now everybody's beating the everybody's beating the drum of I've got rights. And that's people on the left, although not so much at the moment, okay? 6 months ago, yes, when they were beating the drum for rights to do uh, disgusting and immoral things let's just be really clear about that but now it's everybody over on on the right that's beating the drum of rights because we're seeing some of our rights being infringed and not just christians all americans were seeing some of our rights being uh infringed upon not to bring this make this into a political teaching it's not and I understand the reasons for it, so don't think that I'm going anywhere political with this, but you see what, we see what we're see we talking about. It becomes a problem, rights and responsibilities, because for every right that we have that's enshrined in the Constitution, there's still responsibilities that go along with that too. So that's something that you've got to bear in mind, conservative Christians, something just to bear in mind when you're beating that drum. And I'm not saying don't beat the drum, I'm just saying balance your judgment on it, Okay. Watch and pray, be sober, all of that. Vote when it's time to vote. Keep a close eye on your elected leaders. See who's taking unfair advantage. Mark them that are little tyrants. And remember, all right, let's just leave that there. Liberty is where the modern mainstream believer tends to place his emphasis and with good reason. With good reason, again, so, well, I'm, I'm free in Christ. I've got liberty in Christ. You're right. You do. No one's taking that away. Don't panic. Okay. With good reason, we said, because when Paul composed his New Testament letters, and this is important to understand, Christianity was just emerging. It was still emerging as a religion that was distinct and different from the religion of the Jews. And because the religion of the Jews was very much a works-based religion, or had become very much, it was not originally, okay? It was still a faith-based religion, but there were a lot of works involved. But by the time of Jesus and Paul and the rest of the apostles, it had become very much a works-based religion. And Jesus had even rebuked and reproved the Pharisees over that because they were all about works and deeds and all of that while their hearts were still corrupt, their works were not of faith, and that was their chief failing, okay? So the religion of the Jews being constructed entirely of laws and rules and commandments and ordinances, the early Christians had a tough time understanding this new this, this seemingly new concept of liberty within a religion. And the Jewish Christians, those Jews that had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and had converted, you could say, although in their minds it wasn't necessarily conversion, it was just the it was the natural it was the natural result of the religion of the Jews and that actually was. read in Romans and he talks about that. The Jewish Christians had an especially difficult time because they'd been in that religion of all about rules, and many of the Jewish Christians sought to impress upon the Gentile Christians, the ones that had never had the law. They sought to impress and and influence the Gentile Christians to come under the law and still, oh, you can believe in Jesus, that's fine, but you've still got to obey the law of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. That's why Paul was talking about circumcision here in Galatians chapter five. What Paul was explaining to the Galatian Christians, who were the Galatian Christians? They were Gentile Christians that were up in the region of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And there were a lot of Judaizers that were active in that region that were trying to seduce, not necessarily with evil intent, but out of a bad understanding. They were trying to bring these Christians that had been set free, they were trying to bring them under bondage to the law, saying you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. And so what Paul did in chapter 5 of Galatians here, and we read from it, was you don't get both. You either get Jesus or you get the law. Make your choice. That's what he was saying. He said, if your justification came by being circumcised, because that was one of the commandments of the law, and it was for men only, okay? We mentioned this um, last January. Female circumcision has no biblical precedent. It is nothing but surgical mutilation. And if that offends any Muslim that's turning in, we're not try, that's tuning into this Bible study, we're not trying to offend anyone. But it has no precedence in the word of God. None, zip, zero, nada, absolutely none. It's nothing but surgical mutilation. I know that some cultures have their reasons for it. And it sounds like we're passing judgment. All we're trying to do is make it clear to anybody that's listening as part of this Bible study tonight, that is not of God. There. What, what it was, it was a sign of a covenant with Abraham. And it was a commandment under the law of Moses for men to be circumcised the eighth day after their birth. There you have it. What Paul was saying was, if your justification came by that, then Jesus Christ is of no value to you. And oh, by the way, if you're going to stand on that, if your confidence is going to be in that, and you can fill in it, you can fill in any other commandment either. A person says, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm an honest person. Uh, okay, well, then Jesus is, uh, Jesus is of no, no worth to you, no value to you because you're depending on this one thing that you're doing. Uh, well, I know I'm going to heaven because my grandfather was a pastor. Well, mine wasn't. Mine was a police officer and a prize fighter. That's not gonna get me into heaven. Neither will your grandfather being a pastor get you into heaven. He was saying, you've got to make your choice. But we're talking about liberty and responsibility. So let's get back onto that. So it's understandable why many modern and mainstream believers tend to place an overemphasis on liberty to the exclusion of responsibility because of of what we find in Scripture concerning liberty and responsibility, how there were many people in the beginning of the church that were trying to uh, shift the emphasis off of liberty and entirely over to that of responsibility, do this, don't do that, do the other, don't do this, don't do that, touch not, handle not, taste not, all of these different commandments. And so many of those early Christians that tried to overemphasize the works and the deeds and the responsibilities, they feared liberty, while many others embraced the liberty and then went too far with it. Immediately, you're, you're given the truth and the right way to go, and you swing wide and you go into one ditch or the other. You go too far with one and you go too far with the other. So why, and we can talk about the Nicolaitans and they're worth some mentioning, but I really just want to get to the guts of this thing instead. Why do some people fear, why did some people and many people today even still fear liberty in Jesus Christ? Because those who don't have liberty, and you find this true in spiritual matters, you also find it true in civil matters, in matters of government and all of that. Those that don't have liberty distrust those that do. There's a kind of resentment that comes with it. This psychology gets really deep, it does. There's a resentment in those who are bound for those who are free. There's a jealousy that's at work, and there's a fear that's at work there too. And because, and there's another reason too, this is a different reason that others fear responsibility, they fear liberty because they know instinctively that responsibility comes with liberty. You cannot rightly separate these two liberty, which is freedom, and responsibility. And I'm going I'm to try to articulate this, and I don't know if I'm going to do a good job or not, but I'm going to try to, okay? I'm going to try to articulate this so, in a way that makes sense. And I want to articulate it with this statement. Govern yourself, or someone else will govern you for you. Okay? And I know there's a lot of overlap in how this can be applied. It applies in the Christian life. It applies in in just life in the world and with governments and constituents and all of that. Govern thyself or someone else will govern thee for thee. What Christ bought for us on Calvary, on that bloody cross, what he bought for us was agency. And I've never expressed it like this before. So give me a little bit of room. Give me a little bit of rope here, okay? We'll qualify it if we need to. I'll backpedal and clarify if I have to to make sure that I'm not being misunderstood. What Christ bought for us was agency. Now, what do you mean by that? I say agency, I, I say agency rather than saying liberty. The Bible says liberty, and it's true, okay? But the Ultimate liberty without any responsibility, as we already said, that leads to destruction. If you don't believe me, all right, look at, any, look at any child that's been allowed to do absolutely anything that it wants with no oversight or governance whatsoever. That kid will self-destruct, bam, and they'll, they'll self-destruct epically. And if they don't die from it, if they survive into adulthood, they turn into monsters. They become tyrants they become monsters, they become um, psychopaths, sociopaths, things like that. They hurt people, they kill people sometimes, they abuse others because there were no constraints put on their behavior by authority figures, by their parents, by teachers, by governors, by law enforcement, whatever. And so, you see how this kind of this begins to coalesce into an understanding, into a clear understanding in our minds. When we were children, we should have had parents, many of us did, most of us did, but many of us didn't. We had parents and authority figures that constrained our behaviors. They imposed restrictions upon us rules, laws, ordinances, and commandments, and things like that, so that they might shape our character and our behavior to the end that when we reach a certain age, we could, they could then begin to transition, you know, younger or older, they could transition a sense of agency onto us to begin to govern ourselves. I know that's a lot of word salad there, but what I'm trying to say is they gave you more and more responsibilities. They relaxed, they relaxed some of those restrictions. And you can pick examples from your own life, your own childhood. As you were being raised and you, as you grew up and you reached different milestones in your childhood and your teenage years or whatever, your parents, maybe they gave you more responsibilities earlier and it was a case by case basis too you know depending on how well you responded to responsibilities and all of that well that's what the law was to the jews it was a schoolmaster that was designed to that was designed by god not it wasn't designed by moses it's called the law of moses but he just he was pretty much the middleman God gave it to him, he passed it to the people. It was designed by God to bring God's people to a place of spiritual maturity and a place of agency where they could then step out of the constrictions and the confines, the scaffolding of the law of Moses to step out into self-governing liberty in Jesus Christ. We see how that works you read about that you read all about that over in Paul's letter to the church in Rome but it all ties into this relationship between liberty and responsibility and we, I know we've kind of we have, we've swung a little bit wide to, to bring that into it but but we're not going we're not going to lose the core of it so no worries the truth about liberty and responsibility that speaks loudest to the modern christian heart is that you cannot have one without the other you can't you can't and as we've already said a couple of times now liberty without responsibility leads to chaos and self-destruction and we've already talked about how that happens in spoiled children and then it makes it that much harder for them so you parents listen to me now okay if you're raising kids listen to me very carefully and how you raise them now is going to determine on, is going to determine largely how hard it's going to be for them once they're out from underneath the shelter of your home and if you don't impose the right restrictions and, and shape their character and raise them in the fear of the Lord, if you don't do that now the right way, that burden is gonna fall on society to pick up the slack once they're starting to, once they're starting to do things very, very wrong. And it's gonna be that much harder for them to learn later on because the lessons are gonna be much harder because I'll tell you right now, All right. And, and, and don't, don't misunderstand me, what I'm about to say, okay? But many of you got paddled when you, were being, when you were being raised, all right? Getting your backside paddled by a parent or even whooped with a belt or whatever it was that your folks used, okay? That's a whole lot easier on a kid than a jail sentence is to an adult because getting a paddling, you don't have a criminal record see where this is going? Liberty and responsibility, liberty and responsibility, okay? Give a, give a responsible adult, give a child unlimited freedom to do whatever he wants and see what happens. He'll destroy himself. Give responsible adult freedom and watch him thrive and achieve great things in it. Why? Because ideally an adult has come to understand that sense of agency. I have freedom, but that means I've got to govern myself, That means I've got to govern myself. So let me ask you this question, and the Apostle Paul even backs this up elsewhere in Scripture, but let me ask this question. Who are the cops for? Are they for lawbreakers? Are the court systems and judges and all of that, are they for lawbreakers and uh, those that commit crimes and those who do not govern their own actions, or are they for the law-abiding citizens? You tell me, if everybody was a law-abiding citizen, we would have no need for law enforcement. You know what I'm saying? There'd be no need for them because nobody would be committing any kind of a crime. You wouldn't have to have peace officers packing heat and cruisers that can drive faster than your car. You know, you see what we're saying? And the Bible even talks about that. Judges, rulers, and things like that. You know, these are not a terror. They're not supposed to be unto law-abiding citizens and to good people, but unto evildoers. So that's just something to consider. Here the truth is found in the proper balance between these two principles, okay? Liberty with its corresponding responsibility, the one governing the other, by which God gives us as his born-again children agency. He said in Galatians, he says to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There he's contrasting liberty with the bondage of sin that we were delivered from, okay? But later on, in this portion that we read from, when he gets to talking about circumcision, he says this in verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And that's actually one of our key verses tonight in understanding this relationship between liberty and responsibility. One may say, and many do, and they get very, very defensive about this when you talk to them about them. I have liberty in Christ. Don't tell me what to do. Okay. What are you doing with that liberty? That's the question that naturally comes when when you... Engage in this line of questioning or in this line of discussion with someone who's all about the liberty but doesn't want the responsibility. What are you doing with the liberty that Christ bought for you on Calvary? Are we abusing it? Well, what would be an example of that? Well, are you using your liberty as an occasion for the flesh? There's so many different examples of them. hesitant to try to pick on any particular one. Well, the Bible doesn't say that this is a sin. Okay, but how does it look? What's the testimony? And that's where I want to jump over to 1 Corinthians, all right, and tie this in, if you will suffer me to here for just a moment. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, Paul says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I want to jump on that middle part right there where he talks about meats for the belly and the part right before that, where he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. Now, one of the things that Paul taught about was what kind of food can a Christian eat? Does the Christian have any kind of dietary restrictions? Is there is he allowed to eat meat? Can he eat any kind of meat that he wants? Can he, you know, what can he eat? And it's it was relevant because, again, early Christians, a lot of them came out of Judaism. And Judaism had very strict dietary restrictions. There were a lot of things they couldn't eat. They couldn't eat pig. They couldn't eat anything that came from it. So no bacon, no ham, sandwiches, none of that. They couldn't eat shellfish. So Crab, lobster, nothing doing. They weren't allowed to have it, as well as many other types of animals as well. They were not allowed to eat them. So as Christianity was emerging as something that was based in liberty, then this question came up. Is it lawful to eat meat that's been offered to an idol? Because that raised up questions of conscience and things like that. And I know we're pulling a lot of of things into this teaching here in in the last part of it. Here he brings it up. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Not everything that may be allowable by God is wise or prudent in a certain time or place. Do you see the importance of agency, individual agency for the Christian to act according to act with a with the measure of freedom to act with freedom but with some self-constraint and I know we've kind of opened this up it takes a little bit of unpacking because you had some christians that were absolutely of the position of no it is absolutely unlawful to eat meat that's been offered to some idol some false god because a lot of times that was that was part of the worship of a false god. It was part of the worship of an idol was to consume something that had been offered to it. And what Paul goes on in, in, in this, uh, not in this letter, but in Romans, he goes on to explain that in, in greater detail, that there's nothing wrong, it's lawful to eat something that has been offered to an idol, but you've got to be wise about it. Don't you know? Like, don't even ask if it was an, if it was asked if it was offered to an idol. Don't even ask about it for conscience' sake, because if you and another brother are going to the into the shambles or into the marketplace to get you some lunch, and his conscience is weak on the matter, but yours is strong. And you just power on through. It's, ah, no, I don't worry about it, brother. It's fine. I can eat this. you have just violated your brother's conscience. So that's just one example of where he says all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. You gotta be careful with your liberty. Your liberty has responsibilities. Your liberty carries responsibilities with it. And so for every freedom you have in Christ, you have to know when and be willing to rein that freedom in when something more important than your own personal freedom. I'm speaking in I'm speaking in the spiritual sense now, okay? When your own something more important than your own liberties in Christ are on the line. You say, Well, isn't that hypocrisy? Isn't it hypocrisy for me to abridge my freedoms for someone else's conscience sake? No. That is not hypocrisy at all. That's charity. That's love. That's what that is. And Paul even mentions it in Bible readings that we used for tonight. He mentions it over in Galatians how all of the law hung off of love thy neighbor. So well, I'm a Christian and I should be free to do whatever. Right. We already know that he doesn't mean we're free to commit sin, right? The liberty of Christ doesn't extend into doing things that we know are wrong by the word of God and by the conviction of the Holy Ghost. But there are things that may even be lawful to God that are not expedient, under the heading of do you love your neighbor? Do you love your brother? Do you love your sister in Christ? You know what I want to take from one more verse of Scripture. Let's look at this last verse from Philippians. It's in chapter 4, verse 5. It's one shoestring Scripture, but it ties into all these others very well. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Emphasis on that M word that many people abuse. They, they, they say that, well, uh, all things in moderation, so that means I can do this thing that's wrong as long as I'm just moderate in it and not extreme. No. There is no moderating sin. Moderated sin is still sin. And it'll still damn a person to hell, just like that. Okay, so let's just be very clear about that. But even in your liberties, even in things that are lawful, even in things in your life that are okay, It's possible to go way overboard and just overdo them. Paul says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Have that kind of reputation among your fellow believers, among unbelievers out in the world. Have that kind of reputation. A person who has self-control. Because that's self-governance. That's real Christian agency. That is the proper balance between liberty and responsibility. Learn that balance. Develop it in your life. And as you grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God, and every liberty that you learn that you have, learn its corresponding responsibility that you can govern yourself and be an example of the believer. Amen? Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne dash giving